All right, let's go to the book of Ruth. Um, As we continue our march through this book, we're going to read the first uh, seven verses of Ruth. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. She set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young, uh, to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin to look at this passage this morning. Our great God, we desperately need you. The gospel, Jesus, everything that you called us to is right here. But we are out of focus. We are hard of hearing. And we need your spirit to speak to the innermost part of our hearts this morning. So give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Oh God, would you speak in me and through me. Your words, not mine. Your will, not mine. Your ideas, not mine. Receive glory, Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said earlier, uh, Chris and Whitney are going to take their vows on Saturday night. And what an incredible moment that will be. Uh, It makes me reminisce to almost 31 years ago when Rachel and I did the same thing. Uh, A covenant, covenant vows are the most binding promises, the most binding commitment that you can possibly make. There is nothing higher, there's nothing more binding because it is a promise, it is a commitment, it is a covenant between God and yourself and you and another person. The only way out of this covenant is death. It is that important. And what you're saying in marriage is, your goodness is my goodness. Your good is my good. My life for you. I I sacrifice self, I sacrifice my dreams for our dreams. It's not about me, it's about you. And dear friends, there is nothing that we need more than that. In fact, that kind of covenant love, that kind of covenant commitment, that kind of binding ourselves to another person is the only thing that will save us. Because it is the very thing that can drive us to repentance, or at least has a hope of doing so. Because it's really... I don't even know the word. 
it's almost foolish to stand there with another person and cut a covenant, if you will, make a covenant, a legal binding covenant with God and another person and say, I'm going to love you more than myself. Because you're not. That's the whole reason for a covenant. If that were natural, if that could just happen, if we didn't need something outside of ourselves, then there'd be no reason to take a covenant. But the reason we enter a covenant is because we are covenant breakers. It's because we will put our concerns before the other. And so do you see the, the paradox here? God commands us to do what we cannot do. And He says, that's going to save you. I love... When Jesus put a child among his disciples and said, Unless you welcome one of the little ones like this, you don't welcome me. But as you welcome a child like this, you welcome me. What was he saying? He was saying, Oh, you know, not that, oh, children are cute and they're so easy to, uh, to take care of. He was saying what I learned the last 48 hours in keeping my one year old grandson, who I love dearly. I can't do it. I want to go do my own will. I am sick of him wanting to be held every second. As cute and as adorable as he is, I find myself thinking, when are his parents coming home? Man, I want to love better than that. But I can't, because I'm fallen. And dear friends, that's why we need covenant love. We were made for it. We were generated. We were created from the God who doesn't just have the attribute of love, but who is love. And therefore, the only way to fully be human, the only way to fully be righteous, is to move in the direction of His nature, which is love. And that means none of me, all of you, and all of you. And friends, that's a battle this side of heaven, but that's precisely what we see in the book of Ruth. We have a woman who, there's no reason for her to bind herself to Naomi, and yet she does it. But why does she do it? Look at the the terminology in verses 16 through 17, if you have your Bibles, of chapter 1. Chapter 1, 16 through 17. Listen to this. This is what Ruth said to Naomi when Naomi told Ruth to go to your own land. She says, no, no, no. Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Now listen to this. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Friends, that is covenant language. She is cutting a covenant with her mother-in-law, saying, I put you before me. I love you so much, and I'm so concerned about you that I die that you might live. I give up my future that you might live. Unbelievable. You see, I think Naomi, I think Ruth knows that we cannot be shamed out of our pride. We can only love and be loved out of our pride. Pride is the very essence of our sin. And the only way we're going to get over us is to love and be loved. We can't shame each other out of pride. We can only love and be loved. I want us to consider that. 
I want us to consider it because that's precisely what we see in the book of Ruth. When Ruth should have just gone home, she decides to love. She's lost her husband too. She's lost her father-in-law. She has no children. She should have just gone home, but she chooses to love. The world is against her. If she goes to Bethlehem, she's going to be a racial outcast. And yet, what does she choose to do? She chooses to love. Dear friends, the message of Ruth is this. Choose love. Choose love. I'm overwhelmed with my job. I'm overwhelmed with the demands upon me. My heart is broken. Choose love. Give yourself away. I I have this dream. I'm I'm working. Choose love. It's a message of Ruth. Let's dive off the deep end, or dive into the deep end this morning as we consider this reality of love. Number one, we need to see that Ruth chooses love. She chooses love. I had a friend who about five or six years into their marriage, his wife uh, came down with muscular dystrophy. And after several years, she was confined to a wheelchair. And after several more years, my friend became so stressed and so overwhelmed that he left her. He left her. He ended their marriage. Paul Miller in his book, A Loving Life in a World of Broken Relationships, which centers on the book of Ruth. It's really a commentary on the book of Ruth. This is what he said. He said, suffering is the crucible for love. We don't learn how to love anywhere else. Don't misunderstand. Suffering doesn't create love, but it is a hothouse where love can emerge. Why is that? The great barrier to love is ego. The life of the self. In long-term suffering, if you don't give in to self-pity, slowly, almost imperceptibly, self dies. This death of self offers ideal growing conditions for love. Dear friends, commit yourself to someone to love no matter what. That's what God has called us to. And He has warned about growing cold in our love. Listen to Matthew 24, 10 and 12. He said, Jesus said, Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. He said that's what His people will be like. They will betray one another and they will hate one another. And because of lawlessness, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But listen to this. But the one who endures, who endures in what? In love to the end, will be saved. As Jesus lived in this world, the pressures mounted upon Him more and more. The closer He got to the cross, the more opportunity and reasons to abandon the cross came into focus. The pressures got intense. You see His own friends betraying Him. And yet what does He do on the cross? He looks down and He says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You see, as as the pressures come upon Jesus, as life closes in around Him, as He loses the most, He loves the most. The motion of Christ, the movement of the Gospel story is toward love more and more, no matter what. And dear friends, that is to be our heart as well. Man, it's easy to be cynical. You listen to the debates... 
you watch Congress, you hear the decisions of the Supreme Court, the news, the social media, even the conversations in the church will inevitably make you cynical and hard if you let it. But here's the thing. The sole purpose of God's work in the world is to create a loving community. That's what He's doing in your life. What does God want from me? He wants you to become a passionate lover of God and a passionate lover of your neighbor. His entire work in the world is to move toward creating a community that radically loves, especially those that don't deserve it. Ruth comes to faith in God. That's what we see here. Your God will be my God. We've looked at it the last couple of weeks. And what does she do? She commits herself to a woman who can do nothing for her. She commits herself to someone who cannot love. Dear friends, when we love in response to God's love for us, thus with His love primarily in focus, we have a power to love in a way that transcends hate. Ruth loves Naomi, practically enters a covenant with her, and she loves. But look at how she loves She goes to work. She goes to work. (laughs) She begins to work. What is that about? You see, we can't just enter a covenant with someone. We can't just go into our world. We can't just bind ourselves to another person and say, Well, you know, I love you. Isn't that enough? No, we've got to direct our lives toward them. And that's what, what Ruth does here. She directs her life toward Naomi's good. The current saying in our day is, when life gets tough, the tough get going. But what the gospel says is when life gets tough, God's people start loving. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, one of the attributes that Paul gives of love is that it believes all things. I love that. I've been thinking about that phrase. It's always caught me off guard. What does that mean? Love believes all things. I, don't, I can't think of a better circumstance, or, or excuse me, a better illustration in the Scriptures than this relationship right here. You see, Naomi, some commentators believe, is depressed. I mean, why didn't she go to work? Why didn't she accompany Ruth to, uh, to glean in the fields? There's no reason for her not to. In matter of fact, she should have. In desperate times, it should be all hands on deck. And yet, Naomi stays back. And Ruth doesn't judge her. She doesn't become cynical. She doesn't say, well, that lazy mother-in-law of mine. But what does she do? She, she hopes all things. She believes all things. She says, I've got to do for Naomi what Naomi cannot do for herself. I can't sit here and try to figure it out. I, I don't. I love her, so I'm going to go to work. Naomi, okay, you don't fill up to it. Uh, I, I get it. I get it. You just stay home. Oh, what a principle! What a lesson! The nature of love is to believe for others when they cannot believe for themselves. Are you loving somebody that does nothing for you? Then you're not really loving. Dear friends, the most powerful thing about my marriage as I look back over the last 30 years is to see the times when my wife was loving me when I couldn't love her well. 
It was her constancy. It was her presence. It was her consistency. It was her, her unwillingness to grow bitter. Her unwillingness to leave my life for yours. And I pray that she could say the same thing about me. Ruth chose to love. And then secondly, the nature of Ruth's love is, a, is boldness. Ruth's love is bold. Man, this is, we've got to do a little work to see how bold her love is, but it's not that hard. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 6, we see in the law of Israel that no Israelite is to allow a Moabite into their fellowship or into their assembly. Listen to Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 6. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. That's strange. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired uh, against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from uh, Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace of the Ammonite or the, the Moabite or their prosperity all your days forever. This text, over and over, will not allow us to forget that Ruth is a Moabite woman. So think about this. As she enters the the gates of Bethlehem, do you think that all of her insecurities are rising to the surface as the women of the city kind of look at her and with that look of, oh yeah, look, look at her, a Moabitess. There she is. Can you understand how that could absolutely paralyze you from even leaving the house? Because everybody knows who and what you are. Indeed, beyond that, her life was in danger. As a woman, she had no man to protect her. To leave the house and to go to the fields to glean took an incredible amount of boldness. And yet that's precisely what she does. In verse 7, she walks right up to the overseer of the fields and she says, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. She walks right out of that door early in the morning, gets to the field, walks right up to the overseer and says, Would you please let me work? Where did she get courage like this? I contend it is love. It is love. When Ruth, we see it, when Ruth comes back later that night, it's almost like a a little schoolgirl. She's so excited about what's happened the first day on the job. Listen to uh, the text here. And she took up the, um, uh, the, the bushels of, um, of barley that, that uh, she had gleaned from the fields. It's like she gathers all this up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also, she being Ruth, also brought out and gave Naomi what food she had left over after being satisfied. In other words, the food that Boaz gave her, that we'll read about next week, she takes the leftovers from that meal, she takes everything that she's gleaned, and it's like she runs back to the city. She cannot wait to show Naomi. And as she runs into the house and Naomi sees what she's done, she can see the spark in her eyes start to come back. 
<laughs> and it's funny, as we're going to see next week, Naomi starts uh, acting like a mother-in-law and a mother again. She starts giving advice. Hey, don't you leave that field. She like, it's like she comes to life again. It's like Ruth is saving her soul by loving her in a way that she needs to be loved. She loves her out of her depression. She loves her out of her despondency. She loves her out of her grief. There is no stronger motive than love. Love has another person in view. Any other motive is fueled by self-interest, which produces cowardice. Let me say that again. If you are not motivated by love, you're motivated by self-interest, and that will only produce a cowardice. We were not made to be held up by self-interest. We were made to be held up by love, the love of God and the love of others. Self-interest will shrink your world and shrink your soul. But love, on the other hand, will embolden you and produce courage. That's why you don't mess with a, a mama bear. If you've ever been in the wilderness, you ever gone to Yellowstone or someplace like that, man, during, their, during the mating season, during the times when bears are having babies, there's signs everywhere, don't get out of your car. Why is that? Because even if you don't threaten the baby, even if you're just, uh, you know, we'll say cub, even if you're close to the cub, even if you're moving in that direction, that mama is on you. She may not be willing to die for herself, but she will die for her cub. You see, the motive is love. It's in nature. It's everywhere. Ruth is willing to die for Naomi. She's willing to sacrifice herself for Naomi. And isn't that what we need in our day? Dear friends, the only thing that is going to save Memphis, the only thing that is going to save our marriages, the only thing that's going to save every neighborhood, the only thing that's going to save this country and the world is an army of people who are willing to love with other people in focus who are willing to hold the interest and the good of others above their own, and they're willing to die for it. That's why I am so hopeful, dear friends. I am so hopeful about what God is doing in Memphis. I've been in Memphis practically all my life, except for times that I was in Colorado or I went away to school in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And what I see in this day is an army. It's rarely on the news. It's rarely in the papers. It's rarely even on Facebook. But do you know what happens on a normal day in Memphis, Tennessee? There's an army of teachers with MTR, with Teach for America, just teachers who feel called by God to go into the school system that walk into a classroom and say, I may not be able to save the school system, but I can save the children in my room. I'm not responsible for this, but I am responsible for this. I can't love everybody, but I can love these students right here. And when there are, are fights breaking out among youth in our Kroger parking lot and, and youth attacking other people, do you understand on that same day at that very moment there are people going to work at Streets Ministry, at Young Life, at Young Lives, and on and on and on and on we can go. There are families in our communities, there's families in these church that are reversing the trend out of love for God and love for their children and love for the world. And yet the news doesn't pick up on that because it's not supposed to pick up on that because that is kingdom news it does not go unnoticed in the eyes of God 
For you see, what matters is the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God will overcome the world. And the kingdom ethic of God is love. It's love. Isn't that beautiful? This is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. His children, emboldened by love, willing to spend their lives on others. You know, we'll try to see how to articulate this. When I see the debates of the Confederate flag and when I see the mistreatment in our world, I feel for my African-American brothers and sisters. And I am grieved and I'm hurt. But dear friends, I am so encouraged by what's happening right here. I'm so encouraged by the relationships in the church. I'm so encouraged by the movement across the country that nobody's reporting. As the church is becoming more multi-ethnic, more multi-class, as walls are coming down, I am encouraged by where this this country is going because of the, the, the health of the church right now. And when I think about what God is doing here, I say this is the mustard seed that will change this city. This is it. And change may not be here today, and it's not. But change is coming because of what the gospel is doing right here and in so many other churches around our city and around our country. Dear friends, this is the power of God because it's the gospel. Well, how do we do it? Thirdly and finally, God's love fuels boldness. God's love fuels boldness. Here's the thing. If you attempt to go out and love the world in your own strength, you're going to fall flat on your face. Some of you may have tried to enter this community and you say, okay, I'm going to get involved and I'm... And about two weeks, three weeks, four months, a year, you're kind of like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Why? Because when you give your life away to somebody else, unless you're giving it away to somebody that is feeding you culturally and feeding you with compliments and and building you up, then you are going to (laughs) die. You can't do it. Only somebody who is filled up with the love of Christ can do it. You see, the key to Christian marriage is the key to Christian relationship and the key to the church. I can't love you unless I am drawing in the love of God from in my own heart. Because you are not going to be able to love me to the degree that I need to be loved. If I depend on my wife to love me the way that I need to be loved, our marriage is doomed. And I remind her often, honey, I can't love you in the way that you want to be loved right now. Only God can do that. I can't do it. I wish I could. I wish I could be your Jesus. I wish you could be my Jesus. I wish Y'all probably wish I could be your Jesus. I can't be. The only one that can be Jesus is Jesus. And yet when we are drawing from that love, when we are pulling into that love, then we can love. 
And we can love in a radical, radical way. We don't need the compliments. We don't need the applause. We don't need the attention. We don't need to be recognized. We love because we're loved. We love because He first loved us. And that's the hope of the gospel, and that's the power of the gospel. Paul calls that literally dynamite that explodes into the world. So, dear friends, your relationship with Jesus this morning matters. We see this right here in the book of Ruth. She isn't just a hard worker. She doesn't just have a capitalistic or an American view of work. She is a believing lover of God. She understands that there is no reason in the world, and every reason in the world, against it for the God of Israel to love her, a Moabite woman. She knows she has done nothing. Her hands have probably been part of taking babies to put them on the altar of Kamash. She knows her unworthiness, and yet she has experienced the radical nature of the love of the God of Israel who said, you, my people, would be a blessing not only to yourself but to the world. Dear friends, she has come in contact with grace, and it has changed her life. It has changed her life. And so the only question to ask this morning, are you cynical? Is your heart hardened? Are you fed up? Then you have lost sight of your own sin. And the sins of the culture and the sins of the world and the sins of your neighbor and the sins of your spouse or the sins of your roommate or the sins of your co-workers or the sins of somebody else's sins have come into focus. And Jesus says, look, you want to be set free? Stop looking at the speck in your brother's eye. Quit reading Facebook. Put the paper down. And look at the log in your own. And then come to me and let me love on you. Let me love on you. Let me pour out my grace. Let me take you to the cross and remind you of what a passionate lover I am of you. That you're my adopted child. And you don't have to walk around bitter and and hard and critical and self-righteous. Because you have no reason to. But you have every reason to be gracious and kind and loving and joy-filled. Why? Because I love you, my son, my daughter. Uh, Would you come to Jesus this morning? Would you drink in His grace that you might go out and bind yourself to somebody in the city? Bind yourself to somebody in your house that you might even repent to your spouse, repent to your roommate, repent to your boss, repent to your employees, repent to your fellow church members, repent to the the children in 3812, whoever you need to repent to, repent to the homosexual community as Christmas. Repent! Because you've allowed other people's sin to get bigger than your own. What's going to change this world is the love of God's people. Dear friends, may we press into the grace of Jesus Christ and may we go love. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us. Father, I think of um, your word. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life because you do not send your son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Oh, thank you, because I deserve condemnation, O oh God, but you give me grace. I deserve your judgment, but you give me your love. I deserve to be cast out, but you've made me your son. 
I deserve to be, to be isolated and sat in a corner with my face against the wall. But you have my face in your face telling me that you love me, that you've forgiven me, that I'm yours, that nothing can drive me away. And I praise you, Lord Jesus. I praise you, O Father. I praise you, Holy Spirit, that the gospel is true. Hallelujah. So, Father, I pray that everyone in this room would believe it this morning, that you'd fill us up in faith so that we might not just rest in your love, but that we might rest in your love and therefore be good to somebody around us and good to this world. God, renew us, revive us, strengthen us. Father, because we know what the headlines will be one day, someday, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'll be with your servants until that day. We need you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.